And we're live for another episode of Athletic Insights. We're joined here tonight by our guest, uh, Jerome Balbone, Balbone, another uh, former Bishop Skater and, again, another proud, proud member of the, the Black community. And we're going to con- continue the conversations that we had uh, last weekend with Nathan. So, Jer- Jerome, why don't you just take a minute here to, um, to introduce yourself and then uh, just share a little bit of your story with us. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's such an honor to be able to, you know, speak up uh, on your platform. I know that uh, it's going to reach a few people that I could not have reached with uh, my my circle currently. So I really appreciate that. Well, as you said, we met at Bishop, you know, proud Gators out here. Uh, played, uh, played tight end over there. I was uh, also a, a student uh, you know, uh, studying business. Unfortunately, due to a few uh, money constraints, I wasn't able to graduate and finish my diploma, but that's uh, another story for another time. Uh, yes, yes, you mentioned proud black man, uh, bo- born in Paris. Uh, that's not what you expect black people to, to be born, you know, <laughs> but born <laughs> in Paris, uh, grew up in the Caribbean, then uh, went back to to France, uh, started playing football over there, then uh, find my way uh, in Canada. You know, what a trip! Absolutely, in in Jerome. So let's let's just get into it here. So, what sorts of things have you had to deal with in your life, spending um, so much time across the globe? You can give us a really well rounded um, a well rounded view on the matter. I'm. Um, Man, like, you know, it's di- different countries, same story. Uh, pretty much, uh, I lived uh, in Finland, I lived in France, I lived in Canada, I traveled a few around Europe. My brother was living in it- Italy, so I went a few times over there to visit him. And, you know, pretty much wherever I was going, you know, I wasn't feeling at home. Even if I was living there, you know, it's... It was a weird feeling. You you feel out of place. People make you feel out of place. They do stuff. Uh, for example, you know, uh, you're walking in the street on the sidewalk and you cross a, a group of uh, a couple of uh, old people and you just see the, the lady grabbing on her bag. And you, you know, you just... Uh, Put in the case where you're a stereotype of the black guy that's gonna grab the, a bag and start running with it. So it's a bunch of uh, small details and stuff that you experience. And you know, I experienced that in Canada. I did in France. I did in Finland also. And it's crazy. You think that you you go in other countries that people think that are different than others to live exactly the same story. Yeah, and the thing is, everyone in Canada right now who's saying they that they don't see it, it's because they're not looking. I mean, I can personally just give you a story from last week. I was at the Brockville Superstore, yeah. and I accidentally walked into the line the wrong way, so I ended up in front of a whole bunch of people I shouldn't have been in. I didn't realize going through the self-checkout until I had even paid for it, and then I apologized to the lady at who was working, who, who had brought it to my attention. Yeah. And then, but, but two seconds behind me, a small Asian woman did the same thing on accident and she got put to the back of the line. And I'm not saying that it was done on purpose, but it, I'm, because I'm having these conversations, it makes you wonder. 
And this is happening all the time, all over the world. So Jerome, do you want to talk about um, your perspective on people in Canada saying that these aren't problems here, but they're so deeply rooted in our system that you've experienced? Oh man, it's funny story, you know. Um, so I'm in an inter interracial relationship. My girlfriend is white, and uh, I was the first black guy she was dating. And one day we were walking in a, in a restaurant, and we it was a takeout. So we walk in, we do the orders, and we leave. And you know, I'm saying, oh man, how you see how the people were looking at me like it was crazy and she, she at first she didn't know she didn't knew so she said oh no you're crazy it's in your head i was like okay and then we're walking down the street and i'm like okay well you're gonna look at the next few people that are gonna cross cross path to us and i won't be looking at them but just tell me the way they look at me and the way they look at us and I, it took like three people and then she just say my God, why people looking at us? Why people looking at you like that? And I said, well, welcome to my life. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's stuff like that, that that happen all the time. You don't, when you're uh, a, a person of color, you don't have the right to do any mistake because that mistake is going to get back to you right away. You always get held accountable for what you do, what you say right away. You don't have the, the right to do any mistakes. And, and it's and, yeah, go ahead. It's that kind of double standard that people don't have the highs or don't want to see. You know, it's uh, it starts with news outlet when they present a black person with uh, their mugshot, but somebody that killed their own family, they're going to put family pictures as the, the first picture you see of that person. That's the way you get represented every day. And And what do you think? Like now that these discussions are having place and, you know, parliament is going to have to address these, what, what, what realistic change do you think we could, we could uh, expect? Or do you think that um, the system is just at this point too reliant on it? To be honest, I don't know what to expect. You know, I, I have a lot of expectation. I want, I want it to actually bring a real change, be, be having people like you, you know, being a white person from a white community to be able to start a discussion with white kids and black kids to put everybody together. But I, I'm just so scared that it's just a trend. You know, it's just yeah. going to be like that because it's the first thing trending on uh, on Twitter. And in two weeks, the next thing is gonna, the next big Big, sto big story is going to pop up and it's gonna, just going to be dead. You know, there is a, a good example with uh, Mr. Sit in the, the Canadian Parliament. He called a, a white, uh, a white uh, guy racist and he got ejected for that. But the Justin Trudeau called the same guy, uh, insulted him. I don't exactly remember the answer, but he stayed in place. You know, nobody asked him to leave. Nobody kicked him out or anything. That's some some of the the stuff you you see, you hear, like that at some point makes you make you mad. You know. Mm -hmm. And and you mentioning the fact that like Brockville being such a small white community, I'm seeing all over Facebook so much pushback from the older generation. I cannot believe it. 
Um, I don't know if any of them are listening, but to be honest with you, Jerome, we are talking directly to that, the young athletes at this point, because they're the ones who are asking me questions about this and they're the minds that we can mold for the better. At this point, I truly don't believe anybody over the age of 50 who has these preconceived notions is even willing to listen to the discussion. And you're seeing that all over social media, whether no matter what community you're from, you're still seeing a divide. There's still people in this world who are saying, no, their lives are worthless. I mean, if you watched um, in the States, the NYPD, I believe they made a, uh, an announcement. They had hundreds of officers and I mean, they were honestly crying. They were being crybabies because mm -hmm. for two weeks they were being kind of treated the way black people have been portrayed in Canada or Canada and North America for 400 years. It's pathetic. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, crazy. It's pathetic. It's crazy. And you know, like to see those people, the, the best example, I, I've seen that a, a few times now on Facebook, but it, it gets me every time. You know, people saying, oh, there is the hashtag blue lives matter. And uh, I, I had a friend that replied, well, I'm a worker too, you know, I have a job, so my job matter too. And the person was like, well, your job is not under attack right now, so I got to right. show them some support. And then my friend just commented, so why do you always say all lives matter when we, we say black lives matter? And mm -hmm. that person just deleted the comment. That was it, you know, end of discussion, because the point was clear concise and it, it, it was true she had no answer to explain yeah. why for some reason she doesn't want to support black people but she's okay with supporting like cops when they do something wrong and i, I i'm not against cops you know they're, mm -hmm. they're here to protect and serve the population and the one doing it the best way are the one actually protecting and serving, not yeah. trying to attack or discriminate. But if you see that one of your colleagues is discriminating or being vi violent with people and you don't say anything, you're part of the problem too. That's and, what people don't want to understand. And in my experience with police officers in Brockville as well, and I've made some comments about defunding the police, and I want to be very clear to people. I'm not suggesting that we get rid of the, the police. I'm suggesting that we reallocate, reallocate the resources into education and psychological evaluation. Because I think a lot of guys squeak through the crack who maybe they were athletes growing up or maybe they were really popular growing up, but they peaked in high school. And then they come out angry into the world and you hand them a gun with no education. The system, you, tell me one job, tell me one job where you make $100,000 a year with no education, you get a gun, and you're essentially able to fire at will and ask questions later. And I understand there are a lot of good police officers, out, and, I, and I know 95 plus percent of the police officers out there are awesome. But I've been, I've been attacked by a police officer for having a beer can when I was 17 years old at a high school party. Attacked. And this guy in high school attacked multiple of my friends. And I know multiple people who would speak on that. And then it turns out, oh, you know, he had PTSD from the military. Like these people aren't being screened properly and fast enough. Oh, he, no, they're this not. Guy pulled, this guy pulled a gun on his own partner 
for Christ's sakes. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, best example, you know, uh, right now there is the same discussion that is happening in Canada and the, in the U.S. in France, and the the minister charge of uh, of the police was saying there is no racist people in the the police corps. <laughs> Two days after, uh, a journalist hacked into a, a, a police Facebook group, eight thousand people, all of them cops saying racist stuff. Like on broad, on Facebook, you know, like eight thousand cops out of hundred, hundred and twenty hundred in France. Like, how can you just say there is no racist person in the police, and then that pop up, and the next day you you still are denying it, saying mm -hmm. that oh we uh, we can't prove it or we we can't. Well, there's a there's a willing ignorance, Jerome. Oh and, yeah, and and I can tell you firsthand, I've seen it. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in my friends' as parents' close circle. Like this is around us everywhere. And I'm not saying everyone in brothels are racist because that's not true at all. Of course it's not. There's good people everywhere. There's there's racist people everywhere. Oh yeah. But what we need to do is. There's a there's a sense right now to kind of just, you know, attack the racist people. You know what? That's clearly not working and it's starting a war. We need to educate them. Obviously, there's not enough time for patience because this has been going on too long. But they need to listen to these conversations and, and hear like really educated black men like yourself and Nathan just share their, their story without any pre like without any prejudgment. I think the issue is that their parents instilled in them the wrong values oh yeah and it takes time in society to get those out and i think finally i think finally this next generation coming up that's you know a few years younger than us they're the generation where it's 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 gone i really think there's a clean slate coming. I, I, i really hope it is but you know uh seeing some kids on the internet say stuff or using the n-word you know and stuff like that mm -hmm. and I still feel scared because I feel like the world is so connected right now. Everybody right. can be on Facebook, have friends from from different countries and, you know, meet people from other backgrounds. But if in your head you're not ready to accept those people and the difference between you and them, you're not, you, you're not going to put a change. And that's what I, I, I see on social media. It's, it's social media. It's not real life. But... If you're able to say something on social media, that means it's in, in some part of your head. You know, that means that you, in some part of your head, you have that thought that can make you racist and that you are willing to write it. It's not saying it. It's right. even worse because it, it has to go to, through your mind, through your fingers, on the screen, and you have to validate what you're going to say. So to be able to see people young people still doing that or knowing the, the, the consequences of how their words can be hurtful to others, still seeing that, it, it, it makes me scared. I'm, In, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm also scared that it might even go, get worse. Right. And that's fair. You're definitely more um, versed on the topic. Um, and just from my perspective, what I was trying to say was, um, I think that the younger generation is going to start checking that and regulating it more and calling out because they're oh, seeing, yeah. they're seeing, I mean, just for example, um, just this conversation, this conversation is going to allow 
a multitude of young athletes to understand that it's okay to call out the status quo and this, mm -hmm. the system when it's not working and it's failing its people. Like Jerome, do you want to just like share your story about you just had a dream to come play football in Canada. You got here and then tell them what you had to deal with. Oh man, crazy. Well, first, just how I ended up thinking about Canada is because a, a Canadian school came talk to me, talking to me, asking to me, asking me about uh, coming here, play football, have uh, an education. You know, I never even thought about leaving France to come play football here until some school came to knocking basically on my door and saying, hey, come to Canada. So 2013, young Jerome decided to leave everything behind, country, family, and move to Canada, you know. Uh, and it's not to the biggest city. It wasn't Montreal. It wasn't <laughs> Ottawa. It was a small city in, lost in Quebec. Right. The, the kind of city where I was saying I was French and people were talking, replying, but you're black. You know, the, 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 the kind of stuff that, you know, small-minded community that they all grew up together. They went to the same school, same high school, same uh, CJP and, and stuff like that, you know, and they, everybody know each other. So you, you come to that, that community and you're, you're the black guy. You're, the, uh, you, you're the, the foreigner for them, you know. So thankfully, uh, we were doing a, a good job by integrating with the community and doing work to make them see us other than the black guy and the, the foreign guy and just uh, some regular football player from the from the team. But after that, I had uh, come Bishop knocking on my door again. You know, I, I, I thought that after my year, my years in CJP, I was done and just going to move back to Europe. But no, uh, I got a coach from a Bishop that came talking to me, offering me, to come to school and play football uh, at the university level. For a young French man that only played football for three years, it's the biggest and craziest news that you can have that actually think that you can play football in at the university level. When I talk to people now in Canada, they say, oh my God, you play college football? Like uh, I, I stopped in CJP or I stopped in high school. I always dreamed that I could go on the next level, but I wasn't good enough. So thinking about that from a French guy that only played football for three years, being able to play football in college, it was it was crazy, you know, biggest dream. And arriving at the university last day of camp on my first year, uh, I have somebody from the the administration that come looking for me, you know, and they, they come and they ask me to come to the office so we can have a chat and uh, talk about school and everything. So I come in that office, you know, and they tell me, well, we can't keep you in school. Plain simple. <laughs> can't keep you in school. No, uh, no question asked. That's over. I come back to the locker. My locker was already emptied. Everything was taken. And so I have a chat with the coach and he's telling me there is an issue with my visa that need to be worked on. So... I'm saying, okay, no problem. I'm doing the work. I'm doing the stuff to work on my, on my visa to, to be able to play. So I have to go back in France. Uh, six, six months pass. I'm coming back, working everything to make my paperwork being on point and being able to not have that dream taken away from me again. 
I arrive at the beginning of camp at one week. And on the beginning of the second week, the school let me down again, saying that uh, there is an issue with the paperwork and they won't be able to let me attend school. But while this situation was happening to me, uh, I was still in Canada. I was able to talk with a few white students that were not athletes. And uh, we had uh, the same background. We studied the same thing in high school to learn that the university, they had the same issue as me with the university, with the paperwork. And the university pretty much put all the resources they had in order to have those students being able to stay and to study and being able to go in class. When me, on my side, I was left out. You know, my my dream was taken away, of, away from me two times for now <laughs> because I, I didn't knew at that time, but I knew after because they decided not to believe in the black athlete. It's crazy to think about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even I don't even know what to say to that. I can't even imagine being in that situation because, like I talked, like we've talked about on the podcast with Nathan, like when you're when you're going through life as a white man, things things come to you. Like there's no other way to put it. Mm-hmm. I get I get opportunity just because of, of the sc- color of my skin, and a lot of people don't want to admit that, but it's it's true. And and what we're trying to do here is work towards a solution. And even in our small community with the younger kids that we can come to a, a, some sort of just an understanding because it's not about not seeing color. We're supposed to embrace yeah. var- variety and culture. And the thing, and, and then another disconnect I have though is uh, pop culture is, is African culture. I don't understand why everyone will listen to the music and go to the, the NBA games and the NFL games and, and, <laughs> but then, the, <laughs> yeah. but they're racist though. Yeah, preach, my brother. That's the biggest, that's the million-dollar question right there. You know, uh, uh, I'm working currently for a a big Canadian company. Uh, Before that, I struggled to find a job. You know know me, uh, how I used to look, I had dreadlocks. I'm a black man with dreadlocks. Every time I went and put my resume in and uh, calling back to have news, the only thing that was remembered was that I was the black guy. Crazy. Like, uh, I remember I was uh, supposed to work for Subway, and I won't be scared to uh, to say the name of the company because that was really disgusting what happened. Uh, I have an interview with the, the manager, and, you know, everything is going super well. She is sweet. She is being uh, polite. She's asking the right question. I'm, I'm answering the right answers. I had previous uh, previous experiences in uh, restaurants and stuff. So, you know, I, I knew I should have landed that job. Right. Uh, she asked me to come to call back on the next week because she received a few resumes, but she wanted, you know, to check everyone. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. So on the next Monday, I called back. The first thing when at first she hear my voice, she doesn't recognize me. It's it's okay. It's normal. She must have seen like a hundred people a day. Mm-hmm. It's it's in town. It's busy. Uh, I say my name, doesn't ring a bell. And at some point, uh, I started to describe myself, but not seeing my skin color. 
just saying, oh, I'm pretty tall and uh, I'm, a, I'm a former football player. And she's like, oh, you're the black guy. I'm like, okay, well, if that's what you remember about, my, about myself, you know, not my experience, not my name, but my skin color. Like that's, we, we went on the whole spectrum about stuff that you could have remembered about me. But the mm -hmm. only thing that you, you took out was my skin color. And uh, she said, oh, well, uh, I haven't made my decision yet. So just call me back next week. Like, okay, no, sure, no problem. I'll, I'll call you back on, uh, on Monday next week. On the next week, I call back on Monday again, sharp. Call back. She's like, oh, you're, you're the guy that called me last week. Yeah, I remember you. You had long hair, like dreads and stuff. She started talking about my hair. Mm -hmm. And then she, she, she's like, well, I still haven't made my decision. So just call me back next week. Yeah, I'm persistent. I want that job. I, I, I needed the money. I needed to pay for school. I needed to pay for, for rent and stuff like that. You know, I wanted the job. So next week come, I call. And she's like, oh, yeah, if you haven't understand yet, like, I, I, there is no way I can give you that job and stuff like that. Like, uh, we don't want you to work here. And she just hang up. Like, I mean, wow. What a crazy way to just lead a person to think I had the opportunity to work for you, Jeez. work with you, and just shine me out. Well, you know what? I'm glad because karma, karma work is is way, and now that subway is closed because they had <laughs> no workers. Crazy yeah. story, right? <laughs> yeah. And I again, I can't even believe that at this day and age, we're having to have a conversation about the like skin color because like for people who might not know your skin is just an organ. Like we wouldn't, yeah. we wouldn't discriminate against someone that had an orange kidney or a, a, a pink liver. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't understand why there's this, there's, there's this will willing willingness to be ignorant. <laughs> will, oh, sorry. I'm you know stuttering. How yeah. A willing ignorance started just because some uh, Spanish or Portuguese, I don't exactly remember which one was, uh, were doing wars, you know, and they couldn't be say which religion you were by your your face by by your face, you know that that wasn't written on you. It's not written that I'm a Christian or Muslim or whatever. It's not written on me. So they decided to base themselves on colors to decide who should be killed and who should not. And it started from there. And since that day, it hasn't stopped. We just uh, put people on a spectrum of skin colors. If you're too brown, uh, my life might be too complicated for you. You're white and less and, uh, and lesser brown, it should be okay. We can work some, something out for you. And it's what saddened me it's that there is still some people denying the fact that there is a scale on skin color, you know, saying that, oh, no, my life is not easier because I'm white. Well, have you experienced a black person life? <laughs> and, and even, Jerome, it even goes further than that. I'm reading a book right now, Sapiens, which is one of the most, well, most read books in the world. And there's documented proof of, like, text going back 5,000 years saying that, a white person's life is worth more currency than a black person's life. This is, it's so deeply embedded in most religions mm -hmm. to, to, like you said, look at someone's skin and, and decide about them. 
Um, and I don't know what our ancestors were doing to each other, um, you know, let's say 5,000 years ago, but somewhere along the lines, we started to be white people. I shouldn't say we, sorry, cause it's not me, but white people started abusing whatever power dynamic or however they started to do it systematically. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't seem to stop. It, it, it's, it's crazy. And it's still going on today. You know, you're, well, I'm a descendant of uh, slaves and colonized people. And as of today in France, you can still find people on TV saying that colonization was the right thing for humanity. Like, how can you be in your right state of mind and say that murdering and uh, taking people away from their land, their culture, and, and uh, the, the, their family was right for them? And there are still people saying that also that slavery and uh, apartheid and uh, and uh, and uh, oh I forgot the name about the one in the U.S. But all those do not have an impact on black people's life now. But if you look at the numbers, if you look at uh, the creation of wealth for white people compared to black people. Is it's impacting us now, and people still denying it is hurting, because it's a, a way basically for them to say, "Oh no, you're just a crybaby. Your life is not tough. You haven't lived anything." And it it wasn't me; it was my ancestors. So I have nothing to do with it, even though I still enjoy the wealth and the lands that my ancestor got. And saying to black people, well, sorry, you didn't receive anything from your ancestor, but now catch on on the race, but we're still going to give you a few uh, stick in the, the, the wheels. It's, it's crazy to be, to be denied, denied like the, the basic of human decency right now, you know? I'm, I'm going all over because there is so much stuff going on we see the the killing of george floyd and people saying oh but he was a criminal yeah but a cop should not have a right to death or life on someone just because they decide to there is the justice system exactly you know once once you're under arrest it's their responsibility to protect you yeah it's crazy you see you see white kids and I don't want to make it about race, but right, it, 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 it is about the, 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 the way they, they treat us. You see white kids that kill like nine or ten people get brought to KFC to, to, have a, to have a meal and have a drink. And you see a man that was uh, assumably uh, said that he was using a, a counter bill being killed eight minutes and 40, 46 seconds on his neck and he wasn't even resisting anymore. He was already in, in cuff. Like, what you want more from him? You know? And having people still denying the humanity of George Floyd because of what he did or what he was on is crazy. And there is also videos of white kids being killed. And I'm also shocked. And I also want to talk about it because at the end of the day, it's all about police brutality against against everyone. But now, right now, it's targeting more black people. Cops are more uh, upon to use excessive force against 
brown people. And if you don't want to have that discussion about brown people, well, okay, let's talk about all lives matter and all the, the people. In that case, I want to hear you for brown people. I want to hear you for white people. And the problem is the all lives matter people disappear as soon as it's not about the black life, just to counterfeit the, yeah. the, the black life people, you know? And there is just a constant fight for no reason when we should just unite each other because we actually want the same thing. The people that want all lives to matter, well, guess what? Black people have a life, so their lives is supposed to be part of the all lives. And having people just you know, keep fighting, saying, oh, yeah, all lives matter when you say black lives matter. It's it just hurt. So for the young kids listening, I just want to make sure that you guys understand that we are not saying that your life do not worth anything. We're saying that our lives should worth exactly the same as you. But right, right, right now, we're not treated the same, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and we're also not saying if you're a young white man and you're successful, that it's because of the color on your skin. We're just no. saying you do get a head start, though. That's all. Let's be honest. Well, about that. We, you you don't have to to fight the you, your skin color doesn't affect. Yeah. Like let's say you you're a white kid, uh, and it's a video game. You you start at the the, the start line and you you good. You have one, two three laps and then you have a, a brown kid that want to do the same the same game but start after you it's like having a 50 life life uh lap race and you already have done five to six laps and have to start now and i'm at zero so where is the 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 fairness here like if you you cannot acknowledge that uh your family already having power land or money is because at it's coming down the line. If my grandparents have had the big land and I had that land, I could sell sell it or use it for myself. But it's already wealth. It's already money, and that's something that we were we were uh, we were not uh, given or even allowed to have. You know, like in the Caribbean, uh, and it was not that long ago. It was my grandmother. At first, she was not, and my grandfather was were not allowed to have land from the, for for them. They had to go and request the permission to the states to be able to have land. And even though their their parents and parents of them before that were already living there, they still had to ask the authorization, make sure that no white people wanted to settle on that part of land first, and then, okay, you might have it, even though you already spent your whole life on it, you know? Yeah. And I want to, uh, what do you, how do you want to wrap this up? What do you want your take home message to be here? What do you want to get out into the world? Uh, you know, it's, it's first simple and simple. That would be the, the quickest, I think, outline. It's that we can all be part of the solution or we can all be part of the problem. Just listen, put your shoe, your, yourself in other people's shoes and learn what is offensive to other people. And other than fighting it, fighting it, just accept that what you thought was normal is not normal for somebody else. What word do you think was appropriate 
is not appropriate and it's hurtful to someone else. And just it's okay to 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 make a mistake and correct it after. But if you're not trying to correct it, then you're part of the problem, my friend. <laughs> That's about it. Absolutely. Jerome, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, hopefully we can get, do this again soon and um, get into some other topics as well. But I just really want to thank you for having this conversation with us so that we got the opportunity to uh, learn and continue to educate ourselves more. Well, thank you again to you to giving us uh, Black people, but also to me and uh, to Nate, the opportunity to to speak with the young white, white athletes that will hopefully be on the media on the next and uh, say to people, you know, that's the way you should, uh, you should behave. All right, my man, Jerome is out.